Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Indie Luchador's first interview since the inception. Uh, we are joined today by my boss man, Mr. Trevor Oz. Hello. And Welcome. we also have Kevin, the lead designer behind uh, Clay Entertainment's Don't Starve. Hi. Nice to see you. That was a very humble hello. Or, or, or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, First things yeah. first that I really want to ask you, why is it that you guys keep on putting out such great games? Um, well, we're great people, um, and it, it kind of just flows from that naturally, I think. Um, I, actually, I think, I think that um, we, we try to put out games that are different from each other a lot because we're, we get uh, kind of bored of doing the same thing again and again. Um, if, if I had to work on a Shank 3, for example, I think I'd knock my own arm off. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> We just like to challenge ourselves and come up with with new camera views, new gameplay styles, new new everything every time. Now, what was the idea behind Don't Starve? Because the first time I had saw it, I was like, "What are you guys doing?" I it was one of those things where it looked like a Facebook game to me, and then after playing it, I was like, "Oh God, this is nothing like what I thought it was." So, what exactly was the idea behind this, and what made you guys actually go for it? actually has kind of a, a weird history and that I think about two years ago, maybe it's three now, um, at, at Christmas time, we, I think we were working on Shank 2 at the, uh, at the time. Uh, we, there weren't many people in the office. We did a game jam. Uh, we split into the, the four people that were there, split into two teams, and uh, we made little games in like two or three days of, of work. And uh, me and uh, Julian, uh, one of the other programmers on Don't Starve, uh, made a little prototype of a game where you played as a character who was slowly starving to death in the woods, um, and there was like a campfire, and uh, these little... Uh, I think they all the art was stolen from the internet because it was a game jam and we were all programmers. So I think your character was actually 16-bit Link because um, he had nice sprites, and these little children in pig suits would show up and make uh, pig noises, and they, they were kind of afraid of your fire. Uh, but they chase you around at night and eventually eat you. Um, but you could pick up an axe and eat them instead. Um, so it was a really simple game, not all that much to it. Um, and so we, we played it, had a couple laughs, um, and then put it on the shelf uh, for a while. And then uh, about, about half a year later, uh, our CEO, Jamie, comes by and says, um, maybe do you want to do than that? Um, and okay, sure. Uh, and then we threw all that code out because it was just kind of like uh, test code in a Python uh, environment um, and started working on a prototype for a new game in the same spirit, um, but yeah, uh, which eventually became Don't Starve. Now, is there any chance <clears throat> that we may ever see that prototype come out into the wild in any sort of way, like possibly uh, as the other half of Clay, or I keep on calling you guys Clay, I'm sorry, Clay, uh, is working on the special edition of Mark of the Ninja. Will we ever see a special edition of this? Because I would love to see that prototype. I think that sounds really awesome. I'd, I'd, I'd love to show you too, but as, as I said, all the art was stolen from the internet. So I think Nintendo wouldn't like us showing that very much. Uh, Nintendo it, has it actually, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you just, just need to make a like, deal with Nintendo. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they'll be right on that. <laughs> now, that's that's actually a pretty interesting thing to say, because when I stop and I think about it, a lot of indie developers want to work with Nintendo in some sort of way. Have you guys ever been approached? I mean, 
Shank and Shank 2 were quite successful. And I figured maybe that would mm-hmm. be something that would bring these developers to look at you guys and talk to you. And I'm sure you probably can't talk about maybe PlayStation 4 talking to you or... Um, well, I mean, like, we, we do we do work with... Um, yeah, I mean, like, like we work with uh, Mark of the Ninja, published by Microsoft. Um, and Shank was, I think, was published by EA. Um, and, uh, I mean, our... Jamie's always talking to somebody about some kind of deal, and sometimes it goes through, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I don't actually have a lot to do personally with that end of things. I'm more uh, in in production and, and like the creative side of, of, of stuff. Um, personally, though, I think that um, having worked on a game where there is, is kind of that um, kind of producer oversight, publisher oversight, uh, and a game where we are the producer and publisher oversight, um, I much prefer the latter. Um, I mean, well, well, the the money up front is great on the, on the first. Uh, the creative control that you get um, when you can call your own shots uh, is is hard to give up once you've had it. That's definitely an understandable type of thing. Like, especially when you're working with EA and the way that EA is viewed. Uh, especially recently, I believe they, for the second year in a row, won worst company in America. Uh, <laughs> the golden or something is the award i i believe so it's just like one of those really strange (laughs) things to see this indie developer that had their game published by ea and then it's like i wonder how much ea was trying to mess with them and i i know i don't want you to say anything about that because that might kind of cause problems but (laughs) was that a hard relationship or did they actually let you guys run with it they're they're pretty great actually. Like like it was a it was very much a, an arm's length uh, kind of thing. Uh, if anything, like they they more just enforced like the the schedule, <laughs> production schedule, which which can be a great thing for indie games. Like you see some games that take take years and years and years to kind of find their footing um, because you have too much freedom uh, in a way. Like like you you can explore ideas for half a year that don't go anywhere, and you know like the only thing that kind of falls out of that is that you have to eat ramen for another half a year. Mm. Um, whereas when a publisher is calling the shots, then it's like, okay, well, the game is coming out this day. It must be done for them. So unless you want to live under your desk to finish it, you need to, you know, get your ass in gear earlier rather than later. Mm. Um, we tried on Don't Starve, we tried to kind of maintain uh, uh, that type of scheduling discipline internally as well. I mean, our, our date, our final release date did, did slip by about a month, um, but that was more... Um, just we were working um, on this two-week update schedule where we would put out a new content update every two weeks uh, and then kind of rapidly patch it back up into shape uh, after that. And we, we felt that we just needed kind of uh, two more of those uh, cycles at the same pace uh, before we were confident to say the game was actually done. But uh, during production, it was pretty important that we actually hit those internal like every two-week dates, um, both for our fans and for ourselves to make sure that we're not putting too much work off onto the back end of the project such that we have to work crazy overtime at the end. Now, you were talking about content updates. The first thing I noticed, uh, I believe two nights ago, I was sent a review copy, and it blew my mind as soon as I saw on the front page of it, there's so many more days until the next content update. The fact that you guys were out there in the (laughs) open about it is really awesome. That means that you guys are going to keep on supporting this, what kind of support are we going to see in the future? Are we going to see new weapon types, or are we just going to see new characters, or what's the deal with that? Um, well, it's, that, it's it's an interesting problem, right? Because like the game the game is finished right now, and in the past we've had some issues. Even, even while it wasn't finished, while it was in beta, 
um, we would add a new, a, a brand new mechanic, and it would change the game radically. And some people, most people, would be excited about it and and, and see like where we're going and that kind of thing. But some people would be like, "Oh, you ruined the game. I don't want to see that. I I I liked what you had before." Um, and during the beta, it was like, "Well, it's it's in beta. We're this this is part of our vision, and it, we have it all written down. We've told you beforehand that we're going to do this, and and this is just the implementation. And if you don't like it, then I'm I'm sorry." Um, <laughs> But um, now that we're post-launch, that's that's a bit of a harder sell, I guess. Um, you know, like if, if we added like uh, meteor strikes that come every three days and have a 50% chance of killing you uh, every time, then I mean, people would justifiably say, no, you, you shouldn't do that. You, you're changing the game that I bought and you're ruining it. Um, so post-launch, we have to be a little more mindful of that and try to make the, the new stuff um, optional or off to the side or segregated in such a way that if you really don't like it, you don't really have to go down there and do it. Um, the first um, update that we are doing um, uh, kind of works on that in that we're adding a cave system. So you can actually oh. go to another world from your hub world and there's like a whole new place down there. And, and down in there, our hands are free. We can do whatever we want because oh. if you don't like it, just don't go there. That's so awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're still working on how that actually looks in game and engine, and it, and it's. Uh, I mean, the game wasn't built for that, so it's 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 going to take some some work to get that going. And then the other half of the team is making all new characters to kind of fill stuff out. And yeah, it's uh, it's, it's interesting times. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you were talking about how you guys don't know what it would look like. I I first of all really want to say that. Don't Starve is one of the most visually stunning games I have ever seen. To see screenshots and to see it actually playing in front of you is such an amazing thing. It is completely gorgeous. When you end up hitting Q or E, it flips the world to the next side. So it just does a, a complete 25% turn on itself. And it's really cool to see the way that that world just moves back into what looks like it's 2D, but it's actually 3D. And for that to work in the dungeons, I think would be really awesome because it'd probably be darker and you'd probably get all sorts of monsters that just want to fuck you up even more. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, thank you for, for liking the, the, the visuals of the game. I, mean, I really put that on the, on the, on the plate of the, the awesome art team that we have here. Um, they do a lot with what little we give them to work with. <laughs> like the game actually runs on, on kind of crappy computers, uh, and and we're not we're not crisis, we're not normal mapping anything. So if the game looks good, it's totally because of the art design and not because of uh, the work that we programmers have done to help them. Um, so so thanks, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll share that with them. Um, but yeah, caves are it, it's weird um, because stuff's blocking you and. Uh, yeah, a lot of the we do a lot of things uh, with the art style that um, to make it work the way it works, um, that kind of cheat perspective and, and that kind of thing. And once you start in, uh, introducing like actual 3D objects in the world, like the walls, that kind of thing, it really breaks everything. <laughs> so that's so up with a new bag of tricks and, and and cheats and fakes in order to make it actually look good. Um, but I think I think it's it's coming along. I mean, we've been at it for about a week now, and it's uh, it's it's. Certainly, it, it's <laughs> so. Is, I, I have confidence that they'll figure it out. Is there any chance that some of the characters that might show up in the future will actually be from other indie games? That's been like one of those big things that's been happening a lot lately, where 
we're starting to see crossovers, even though it's not from the same companies. We're starting to see Super Meat Boy inside of uh, Bit Trip Runner Two and all this other kind of stuff. Um, that would be that'd be kind of cool. I mean, I was uh, I've been playing a lot of Kerbal Space Program lately. Mm. Um, if you haven't played that, you should. It's it's really fun. I have. It's um, not I, my type I'm, of thing, but it is pretty neat. I can definitely see the appeal. It takes a while to get into, and you really have to play it with the wiki in the beginning and, and, and kind of work for it. But uh, once, you, once you are into it, it's, it's hard to stop playing. But I love those little Kerbal guys. Those would be, those would be neat and, and somewhat fitting. Um, uh, I don't know. I, 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 they usually don't let me talk to, to people, um, so uh, that would be negotiated at a, at a higher pay grade than my own. <laughs> oh, but uh, it, it could work. I, Don't Starve kind of has this uh, hermetic kind of lore that it, it's working within, telling the story of Maxwell, the powers behind Maxwell, that kind of stuff. So it would have to be done in a tasteful way that um, either is, I guess, obviously an Easter egg and, and isn't meant to be taken seriously, um, or is actually embedded within the, the overall story structure. So um, what you're so saying it, is... It would really have, have value basis so what you're saying is shank is going to be in there and he will be the best at combat <laughs> actually i was I, just about to yeah, ask that question <laughs> I, I was going to say is there any possibility actually, of bringing previous characters from your games into this i think of, of all the the clay games the the one the, the the clay universe that would gel best with it would probably be the eats one um just because it's it's a bit more whimsical and and less um I don't know, grimdark or whatever you want to call Shank. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the the less I see of Shank in the future, the happier I am, I think. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, like, some of the other characters do fit in there better, but that that makes too much sense. That's why you got to go with Shank and not make any sense. You could do your hop mechanic on top of a tree. Killing people, yeah. <laughs> like, just imagine him, like, doing the hop thing across and, like, stabbing a yak in the face or... What happened to me last night, I don't know if it's because I was going crazy or not in the game, but all of a sudden, a tree stood up and started chasing me. So, I just want to say that having Shank be able to pounce oh, on no, that's, him... Oh, no, that's something to see. I'll give, I'll give you that. See? I, I'm throwing you out ideas right now. I mean... That's cool. These are all yeah. free, so... Yeah, don't worry. I don't want my millions of dollars. I just want to do this right. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things I really want to know is what are you playing and what type of thing inspired Don't Starve? Um, well, as, as I, the, what I'm playing right now like this week uh, is uh, Kerbal. Um, I really want to play Monaco. Uh, I've been looking for it. I played the IGF build of that like two years ago. Uh, and I loved it then. Uh, I just haven't had the, found the time at, or the... Uh, Ambition to boot my my Mac into boot camp mode to play Monaco. <laughs> so uh, soon, uh, I just finished Bioshock Infinite um, on PS3, and I wasn't actually a big fan um, of that, um, even though everyone else is. Um, other than that, like I think, like if you're talking about in terms of like um, influences for for Don't Starve, yes. definitely um, initially uh, like roguelike games. Um, Kind of the feel of that, like the permadeath aspect, the non-tutorializing, that that definitely kind of comes from from that. Um, FTL, um, when we were running into design problems and like thinking like how do we actually, you know, make this a compelling experience over time, um, but actually put people into it and uh, somewhat gently so that they don't just die right away. And and how do you keep it fresh for repeat plays? Um, 
we actually looked at FTL quite a bit because um, I think pretty much everybody in the office has played it a lot um, and we could all talk about it and some of the things that they did to make their game interesting um, on repeat plays um, we did as well or tried to do <laughs> as well. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, the first 10 minutes of Minecraft, um, Don't Starve, if anything, is um, what I wanted uh, when I played the first 10 minutes of Minecraft mm. uh, for the first time. Uh, and, and night comes and the, the creeper comes and blows you up. That was so cool. Uh, <laughs> then the game kind of turned into something completely else after that. And, and not really my cup of tea, but a lot of people really like it. Um, but that, that first 10 minutes of that, um, we're, we're, we're very, um, I guess I was very impre impressed by that and, and tried to extend that feeling onward um, with Don't Starve. Yeah, Amnesia as well. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm a big sucker for horror games. Oh, God, I wish I could be. I, I'm a gigantic man, and I will scream like a little girl. It is horrible. <laughs> it will be the most high-pitched thing that could shatter a cup. So no Slender Man for you. Oh, God, Slender Man is the absolute worst thing in the world. He scares me completely shitless. Jump scare <sighs> doesn't even say it. Like, that dude haunted me for a while after watching <laughs> Marble Hornets. And I couldn't sleep. I think I went like three days without sleep afterwards because I was so, I was just fucking scared. I, I almost had to go out and buy adult diapers because I didn't even want to go to the bathroom. Those bad times. <laughs> um... <laughs> I like I like the games like uh, uniquely as a medium. I think games can lend themselves towards that experiences. I think like because you're involved with the game itself, like, you you are kind of controlling the avatar. You actually feel for that character more than you do, say, watching a movie uh, where there's that kind of externalization of of, of danger. Um, but I think that in order for that to be true for a game, you really have to minimize the overt narrative. Um, so, like, if you know that, like, like Resident Evil 4, um, for example, kind of a horror game, sort of. Mm -hmm. um, I actually liked it quite a bit when I played it, but you don't actually feel scared so much because you know that a cutscene will happen and you'll continue, or if you die, um, you, you'll just save something like that. Um, so I think that, like, you, you really have to have uh, more of a blank palette um, where you don't know what the result will be. Like, the game might kill you and it might delete your save game so harder. <laughs> you know you have to have something on the line in order for the horror to actually kind of um come across i think yeah i've actually found myself getting more scared by don't starve than i have with resident evil 4 and it's not like that oh god this is scary it's the wait i don't i don't want to die because i've actually built up my science machine i built my alchemy machine i want to make this like uh last night while i was speaking to trevor i was playing it and i was like all i want to do is build this fishing pole and then i got killed by the tree monster <laughs> and, and like yeah so, so that's scary you, you totally have goals of your own right and yeah. and the danger that your own personal goals will be subverted not that the character won't reach the princess or whatever uh stupid video game plot is actually happening in the background but it's like my story that I'm trying to uh, that, that I'm experiencing as I play the game will come to an end, and that's an actual. Uh, it, it's not death, but it's a form of death for for that narrative that I think just makes the horror work a lot better. Don't starve is exactly like that kind of thing that you were just talking about, where I didn't start out and just sit there and be like, okay, I've got to do this. I sat there for a second. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And then 
as time went on, I was getting better and better. At first, I would survive for, like, 10 minutes. And then the next thing you know, like, I'm able to go, like, a half hour. Last night, I ended up going for about two hours without dying. And then that fucking tree monster messed me up. Um, which also brings me to another point, because I'm ADHD prone. Perhaps <laughs> maybe I'll jump around a lot like this. With the tree monster, it didn't seem like I was doing any damage. And I even had a... a oh, wait, I'm about to not try to make a reference, but I'm going to make a reference. I had a golden axe. And... I was chopping at him. It seemed like I was doing nothing. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to run away. I'm going to build a torch. Maybe this will set him on fire. Is there any chance that we could ever see the ability to set some of the enemies on fire? Because... Oh, you can. What? Yeah, make him walk over a campfire. Or, or use your torch to light something else on fire and get him to come too near to it. Light on fire and walk around on fire take damage. Oh, how did I not know about Wait, this? There, there's actually... Um, once you progress further that like to the fourth level science which is like a, uh, a shadow manipulator, which is more magical science, really. Um, you can build a fire wand that shoots fireballs at things. Oh. See, now I've got to try to survive longer, and, like, it's it's scary to go away from where you build your camp. Like, when I set a fire for the night, I like to be able to just, like, be like, okay, I'm just going to go out in this direction, I'm going to pick up some flints, and I'll get this for the day, and then that's how I'm going to survive. So it is, like, a wilderness survival thing. But with that, there's so much that's on the other side of the map that you have to go and get. And the fact that you have to go out there is, like, one of those scary things, because you don't know what's out there. I'm still, I'm, like, three hours in, or maybe four, and I'm still having to discover things. Like yesterday, I, I saw a yak-looking creature for the first time, which apparently hitting it in the head with an axe is not a good idea because it will maul you. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where pencil. you guys did something really, really genius with this. And I know that there are people out there that looked at it the first time the way that I looked at it, being like, this is just a Facebook game. Why are they charging for this? And then... When you hop into it, it's not at all. So you guys did something really, really genius with this, and you're actually telling me things right now that's like, I need to work harder on this. And that's like such a scary thing for me for somebody that's currently running Indie Luchador on my own. I don't have that much time, but I'm going to do it now. So you're an well, evil thanks. genius. It's actually a very slow-paced game. Like, and and that's a bit of a risk because a lot of people like jump in and they like you know I want my instant gratification. Like if you just played uh, having just played Bioshock Infinite, you don't actually get to interact with anything for like an hour, and they're just throwing spectacle in your face for that whole time. It's like, ooh, look, we made expensive art assets. Um, and before you get to actually do anything, you sit through all that. Um, and I think like I find myself getting more and more alienated from AAA kind of like console games. Um, as, as I get older, as I have less time to actually play games, um, when I play a game, I want to play the game. I want to have, um, I guess, a ludic experience. I don't really want a crappy movie, um, which is, in, in my opinion, this, I don't, the rest of the company probably doesn't share this, but in, in my opinion, um, a lot of the industry is moving towards that where it, it seems sad in that every game maker really has to be Michael Bay, mm -hmm. and they want to make a crappy blockbuster movie with a crappy blockbuster movie story with, you know, punctuated by half-hour shooting dudes in the face. So, um, basically, you're for me, the that's more calm Canadian version of me. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. But at, at but the I same think, like, time, I mean, like if you look at those games, 
they sell really well. So it, it's kind of hard for them to go away from that model. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like the like I think like uh, if any the the newer console generations make that even worse um, because people expect like you know amazing graphics and 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 really high definition everything, um, and that costs a lot of money to make. So that necessarily makes designers and producers and people making games more conservative and they won't take those risks because you know 30 million 60 million dollars are on the line of course and their shareholders down the road that are, are going to be very very upset with you and you will lose your job and all your friends will lose their job if you mess it up so you play everything completely safe and that's why we have call of duty every year mm-hmm. <laughs> call of copy and paste is what it's really called <laughs> yeah, yeah it's the same <laughs> fucking game every copy year I mean, even when you guys did Shank 2, it, it, I, I was worried that it was going to be a copy and paste job because at that time, I wasn't that much into indie games. It, it wasn't that I didn't like them. It was just I hadn't gotten into them yet. And it is one of those things as you get older, you do get more into them because you start to go crazy because you don't want Michael Bay anymore. You actually want a real experience. I, I personally kind of wrecked Shank a lot because it's it's a I mean it's a very adolescent game and it was it was kind of embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I love I, it. It is adolescent, but that's like uh, part of the charm to it. it. Like that's the thing you can do yeah, with Andes. It it has its own charms, yeah. But Shank Two definitely is better than Shank One. I think um, Shank One was um, when we made Shank One, the company was on the verge of not being a company anymore. Like uh, we had we were coming off of a, we were working with. Exxon making a, actually a free-to-play game, uh, kind of a, it was called Sugar Rush. It was kind oh, of like... God. Um, oh, God. Oh. Yeah. I'm, so, I, I'm sorry that I just sounded like that, but okay. Um, <laughs> go on. <laughs> anyway, so that they they canceled everything and, and we had nothing to do, so um, we decided to make like just a balls-out action game that's crazy and Tarantino-esque and all that, um, but it was made on a, on a very tight time scale uh on a shoestring budget and barely strung along so we barely had time to to get it done in the time we we got it done in and there were a lot of things that were like like some of the control stuff a lot of the story stuff uh, there was a lot of broken stuff in shank one so i i I really view shank two as what shank one should have been Mm -hmm. um had we had the time and the budget that we actually to be to to complete that game i actually really enjoyed the multiplayer component of shank um personally uh yeah yeah i I think it was uh, I, I worked on that a lot, um, but it was um, a more enjoyable experience for me, at least, than the single player because the story was, you know, Shank's story. Um, but uh, it was actually it was an actual game again. Like it wasn't a, a roller coaster ride, walk set pieces, watch things explode. It was, oh crap! Uh, you have to destroy the bomber before he gets your bomb, and there were strategies, and you yell at your friend and that kind of stuff. And I, I really, really enjoyed that part actually. Yeah, I got I got two things to say right here, which is. I hate multiplayer games, and Shank 2's multiplayer is awesome. And when I sounded disgusted about Sugar Rush, it's not because I was disgusted about Sugar Rush. I'm disgusted because there were a lot of people freaking out about how awesome that looked, and it never came to be. Oh, uh, yeah. With, uh, we got we got fan mail for that years later. <laughs> oh, was, I bet. It was kind of fun. I, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was a neat-looking game, yeah. Yeah, it was really cool looking. Like they they've canceled a few games on people, and I know that Nexon kind of got really big off of Maple Story, and they kind of got uh, one of those attitudes where it's like, oh, our shit doesn't stink, so uh, fuck you. And I never knew that <laughs> that was you guys working on it, and now I'm actually really upset because you guys make some really fucking amazing games. 
Um, to the point <laughs> where I haven't written the review for Don't Starve yet, but uh, I'm going to be writing it real quick after this, and it's one of those games I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. It's fucking amazing. Awesome. And the thing is, it's like there's going to be so many updates as it goes along, so it's probably going to keep on being an updated review as it goes. But mm. with Sugar Rush, I not that I I want to talk about Don't Starve, but now with Sugar Rush, <laughs> it's just like I, I got to ask you, what was the point? Like, what was the goal? What were the level-up systems going to be like and everything like that? Oh, God. Uh, okay, so this is back in 2008. Um, I actually came onto that project kind of late. It was mostly in place when I got there, and I, I, I came on, and I, I think I, the major thing that I did is I I overhauled the animation system, because uh, that's kind of my background, uh, like, educationally, is computer animation and stuff. Oh. Um, and then I, I did the robot rumble mode, if you remember that. I do. Um, it was... Uh, yeah, so I programmed those robots. Oh. <laughs> that was me. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't remember. It was um, what were the there were a bunch of game modes planned. Um, there was it's it was a long time ago, uh, so I don't remember a lot of the details. Sorry. Oh, that's it's it's fine. It just that really pisses me off because Nexon's such douchebags. <laughs> that's uh, that's so sad to me because <laughs> I was really looking forward to that. That was like another one of those games that I. I looked at and i was like oh i don't really care for multiplayer but sugar rush just looks so fucking fantastic it was mind-blowing and to see that nexon was trying to push more it, things than just maple story was really cool to me um eventually they did push out something or they pushed out a couple of different things one was working with valve to make uh vindictus and then the other part was them actually putting out dungeon fighter which if you haven't played Dungeon Fighter, mm. it's probably one of my favorite MMOs just because it's a, a Streets of Rage type of game with weapons and really cool abilities. Uh, mm. I actually thought originally that that was what Sugar Rush was, and then they just somehow transformed it into that just from the original screenshots. Yeah, no, I saw. Sorry, go on. I didn't hear you. Yeah, I, I mean, Sugar Rush gameplay-wise was, was very much... Um, like, uh, what's that game? The Mario fights Kirby game. No, that's the uh, name of it. We'll just stick with that. <laughs> Smash Brothers. Mario fights Kirby. Uh, <laughs> Smash Brothers, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, it, it was very much along that lane where it's just like a bunch of crazy characters in an arena, uh, um, either deathmatching or trying to collect stuff, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so you, you were very very much in an arena as opposed to going through levels uh streets of rage style <laughs> well that's that's exactly what dungeon fighter is you're going arena by arena like just going through that's why i thought so much that that's what that had become and they just changed the name uh at the point in time as i said i didn't even know that you guys were the ones doing sugar rush it just blows my fucking mind um which is not hard to do so <laughs> don't take too much credit on blowing my mind here back to don't starve back to coming around to this thing when you said that you guys were late by a month, when you guys ended up being late by a month, what were those reasons that you were late? Was it just like some final finishing touches or were you adding in other creatures or what? Um, it actually, it was adventure mode. Um, if you've played, have you found the adventure door yet? No. Okay. So there's a door. Um, if there's one per world, uh, you got to find it. It's actually kind of hard to find. 
And I've noticed that some reviewers actually don't find it and then reviewed the game kind of half of the game and not the other half of the game. So, so it looks um, like I'm not writing that review anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, ad adventure mode is uh, it's more scenario based, I guess. Um, the whereas the survival mode or like the default mode is just kind of like crazy, uh, but kind of like once you know how to play it's kind of easy like it's not too hard to survive for mm -hmm. hundreds of days like people on the forum do it all the time adventure mode wants you dead um you go in through this door and uh there's this little plot where you're you're getting closer and closer to maxwell the the person you see at the at the beginning of, of survival mode okay um and and you, you find out like what he's all about and uh why he brought you into the game that kind of thing um but the the levels are super super hard um they're uh they're not really tuned such that you can like set up a base and hang out. Like there's just so many monsters and it's always raining or it's winter all the time or it's always nighttime, stuff like that. Um, and you're more like running from place to place and collecting like uh, high level loot from dead adventurers, that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, I guess it's, it's more of a traditional, like almost dungeon crawler kind of thing um, in, in an open world um, as opposed to uh, a sandbox base creation survival kind of thing which uh this what is i i'm very interested by this idea and i'm very angry at the same time where it's like god why is it got to be so hard to find because i find wormholes all the time uh which yeah yeah at oh, first i thought like the, oh sorry oh sorry go ahead oh i was gonna say at first when i saw one of those wormholes on the ground i honestly thought it was a monster's butthole and i was like Oh no! I'm gonna go slap. I'm gonna slap this thing, and it's gonna attack me. <laughs> so, it just uh, figured I'd throw that out there. So, I I guess like there's plenty of wormholes that warp you to different parts of the world. But to find this door that I didn't even know about, which when I first saw something like that, it turned out it was just a pig's house. So I right. I definitely uh, now I have yet another goal in this game. You were really ruining my life right now in such a good way. <laughs> Cool. Well, I think like that's that's one of the things that we were trying to do with Don't Starve was to create something that you don't actually see the entirety of um, upon casual inspection. So like if you remember when you were a kid and like someone would tell you that um, like on a playground in Mario Brothers, you can find a warp whistle and you can skip half the game and it would blow your mind. Right. Because mm -hmm. you're like, no, you can't do that. Oh, I've been I remember a hundred times. I've never seen that. And and that kind of knowledge would share like be shared virally uh, from kid to kid that kind of stuff, that's kind of missing from a lot of games nowadays. Um, you know, like you, you beat level one, you get an achievement that pops up boop, as as you do it, and it says, oh, congratulations, you completed the tutorial, and and nothing is hit, and everything because everything was so expensive to make, they really want you to see it to, so they can get their their values worth for that production. Um, they, they don't let you miss things. Um, and I think being able to miss things in a game is so important because it makes the game feel much bigger um, in your mind than it even actually is. That, uh, it's just... I, I don't even know what to think about this because everything you said has such different meanings all around. Like, not in a way that, oh, you're wrong. It, it's just like it's very true. Nobody will let you miss anything anymore. Just like with the old Castlevania games. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but you had to duck down in a corner and then a tornado would take you away. And exactly. I love it like that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm finding that with like, 
it turns out that indie games are the, uh, no pun intended, the bastion of this, where you can find these types of things. There's hidden shit everywhere. Uh, the first time I figured out there was hidden rooms in the Binding of Isaac, I was like, what is going on here? Because that game's, exactly. as Ed says, it's just it's his own ripoff of Zelda. It's just like that, that sense of discovery that people used to get from games. Um, I, I don't think it's because we were all very young and impressionable when we were playing games. I think it's because there actually was stuff to discover. And, and somewhere along the lines, we lost that um, with tutorials and achievements and pop-ups and multiplayer and, and chat and everything that gets kind of crufted onto games nowadays where we're, we will let ourselves call them games. Um, somewhere we lost kind of the magic fun, I think. And I think a lot of indie games really, because we're not necessarily beholden to these big economic powers, um, we can explore that and try to bring some of that back. So you're telling me no microtransactions that's going to be able to bring up a door for me? <laughs> because the debug console that uh, I can tell you about that'll do that, but uh, not microtransactions now. Oh darn it! How terrible! Well, I know uh, Fez did a really good job of kind of getting the internet involved, and a lot of people solved that game as a collective community by using the internet. So it was almost like okay. new age yeah. word of mouth. It, so, sorry, they they had like the 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 creepy puzzles all built into that game as well, right? Yeah. Now, you're from around the same area as Phil Fish. Have you had any interaction what? with him? Oh, um, I, I haven't. Uh, Jamie probably has. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> he, he tends to know. It, it turns out that the internet is just, they hate him so much because they don't understand what he's joking. So I was really interested in getting your guys' take on him. But uh, you said oh, you said Corey? <laughs> Uh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie. Uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say, we're going to also have Corey, uh, your guys' PR man, on the show pretty soon uh, to cover the PR side of the business. So uh, I was like, oh, well, we'll ask him about Phil Fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's next? Like, what can you guys possibly do next? Or do next? Because... Everything you guys do, except for Shank having a sequel, has been something new and something completely different from the last thing every time. So where do you guys go from here? Um, well, me personally, uh, like a, a lot of the Don't Starve team stays on Don't Starve. And uh, for the six months of updates, potentially more uh, if uh, you know enough people buy the game that we can still afford to have people working on it. Um I mean, we want to keep that going as long as we feel that there's stuff that should be added to the game. So, um, and and we can cycle people on and off of that as like individuals get bored of of, of working in that universe. Because uh, I really like working like three or four years on the same type of game, same game. You really burn out, so you need to take a break and go do something else, make like a shmup or something, and then come back. Uh, for the company, uh, we've got things on the go. Um, I, I really probably would get in trouble if I, if I said too much about oh, them, definitely. but uh, there's some there's some stuff that I'm. <laughs> there's some stuff that I'm personally pretty excited to play that uh, that people are working on that looks pretty cool. So keep watching. <laughs> uh, now, now you guys, a lot of people complain about the fact that you guys aren't actually an indie company for some god awful reason. I don't understand why people think that you're not. Um, how many teams do you have? Because it threw me off as soon as Corey told um, me it, that it there varies. were actually two separate teams. 
Um, the teams are small. Um, I think uh, the size of the company varies too over time as, as we staff up for projects and, and, and staff down and contractors come and go and that kind of thing. Um, but I think uh, we're uh, 20 people, 30 people, something like that recently. Um, I mean, Don't Start Right Now has about, I think, eight people on it dedicated. Um, and then we have some support people like Corey, who's kind of involved with everything that we do. Um, our, our sound department is one guy, uh, Matt, who's very good at making sounds, but oh, he gets yeah, to make yeah. the sounds for all the games. <laughs> yeah, who, who's so doing that soundtrack, by the way? Because at first I thought it was... Oh, shit, I'd, I'd lost his name. Uh, I was going to say I thought it was the guy that worked on The Binding of Isaac, but it, I know it's not. Oh, no, we... Um, there, there, there are two local composers in town, um, Vince and Jason. I think that they, they also did the music for Shank. Um, oh, I maybe I'm not actually sure. I, I, I personally didn't work on Ninja, so I don't I don't know much about the details there. But um, yeah, they they, they uh, our, our sound guy, uh, in-house sound guy who does sound effects and the mixing and everything, and I kind of and, and our creative director sat down and we, we we came up with a list of like references. We're like, well, you know, we want some Tom Waits and some Danny Elfman and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, some Django Reinhardt. Mix it all together. Gave the list to, to Vince and Jason, and then they came back with the, the music that you see in the game, and we were just completely blown away by it. Um, but yeah, they, they're just a couple of guys. We contract to do most of our music. They're I, pretty good, too. <laughs> I completely caught that Danny Elfman vibe that you're talking about. I actually uh, took notes of that. Uh, the Tom Waits, I can actually see that now, too. So that that's actually really interesting. Uh, instead of me taking up all of the uh, air in the room... Trevor, you actually want to ask him anything? Because I kind of talk over people, it seems. Yeah, it seems like you do. I mean, you covered a lot of everything. Um, what previous games, what all previous games did you work on? So you worked on a little bit of Shank, and and did you work on, like, Eats, or was that before your time, or stuff like that? Uh, no, I didn't I didn't actually work on Eats. I, I joined the company in 2008 and worked a bit on the what would be Sugar Rush and what got canceled. Mm. Um, and then I worked on Shank 1, Shank game where I actually took more of a design role uh, in addition to programming uh, tasks. Um, but what I ever worked on was actually The Bigs, um, which was a like an arcade baseball game for the for the consoles. Um, that came out in like 2007, I think. Um, and then I briefly worked on another baseball game, um, uh, MLB 2K8. Oh. Um, so a lot of baseball, um, which I'm actually not a fan of, uh, even, uh, but you know, job's a job. Uh, at that point I was really tired of baseball and sequels and baseball. So I, I moved to clay, uh, and I worked up on, uh, sugar rush for about half a year, I think. Um, before that got canceled. Uh, then we did the Shank game. Uh, so we worked on Shank 1, Shank 2. Um, and when that finished, uh, we started Don't Starve, um, which was my first uh, first time uh, sitting in almost more of a designer role uh, in addition to my programming tasks uh, instead of just being a gameplay programmer. Jesus, you've had uh, quite the past. <laughs> yeah, going from baseball to Don't Starve, that's a pretty pretty big leap. Well, it's, it's it's a, it's a reaction to that. It's the first game that I've that I've uh, because I've been in more of a designer role. This is this is more the type of game that I play. Um, like I don't play sports games really. Um, Shank is fun um, for what it is, but I I wouldn't probably go out of my way to play a game like that. Um, whereas Don't Starve is the type of game that I would play. I actually really like Mark and the Ninja though. Mm-hmm. 
but I didn't work on it. I, I thought they did I love that, that game. Yeah, I was going to say, if somebody here that's listening to this doesn't like Mark of the Ninja, get out. Right now. Just leave. Because, <laughs> god damn it, Mark of the Ninja was my runner-up for Game of the Year last year. So, I mean, it, it, yeah. that was definitely one of my favorite games, because I love stealth. Like, I'm a huge Splinter Cell fan, and mix that with the side-scrolling action. It's basically like old-school Ninja I didn't meet Splinter Cell, and I, I just, I love that game. And and luckily, we'll actually have somebody from that side of Clay also on here pretty quick. Uh, I, I guess that we're basically going to start wrapping this up. Uh, what exactly is there that you can tell people on how they could actually start working as an indie dev, or what they can do to really get themselves out there in the business? Um... Well, the number one thing is you just gotta you gotta make games. Um, I mean, you, you can actually do that by yourself now. Uh, there's a lot of middleware out there. There's a lot of resources for learning. There's a lot of people you can collaborate with over the internet um, who also like making games. I mean, I think this weekend, uh, actually, I don't know when this airs, but uh, this weekend from right now, I think is uh, Ludum Dare, um, which is mm. like like a 48-hour game jam where you, you're given a, a, a topic for a game and then you just go off and like make it. Um, and then there's a competition afterwards. Um, that is great experience. Uh, I, I like sleep too much to, to do it. Um, uh, I, but I, but I have done it in the past. And it's uh, you learn a lot uh, about finishing, uh, uh, starting and finishing a fully complete, uh, albeit small, uh, game and just all the work the whole experience of, of, of doing a large project is condensed down into the 48 hours and it's, it's quite cathartic <laughs> and at the end you have something you can say look I made yeah I, I believe uh, Ed talks about that Edmund McMillan talks about that because I believe that's where uh, he created la like last year he was given the topic of 1000 cats and he's ran with it and now we're going to be getting mugenics at some point in time this oh. year which has turned yeah, into I mean, an infinite. Don't, don't Starve started as a jam as well. I mean, it wasn't a 48 hours don't sleep jam. It was a take work days and work within them jam, which I much prefer uh, now that I'm not a student. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great way to get the, like, just unblock the creativity um, and try something. Okay, so basically we're going to see Super Meat Boy inside of Don't Starve Soon and also Isaac from The Binding of Isaac. And Shank. Yeah, you can eat Super Meat. <laughs> well, yeah, and, Shank. And, and Shank, so he can actually tackle down some of those trees for me so I quit getting so pissed off. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of want to see some ninjas in there, too. Yes, please. My God. Yeah, yeah. That, I think, I mean, there's an interesting point there, and I think that a lot of the reason that, that um, that Don't Starve works the way it does is because the, the player character is actually quite weak. Yes. And a lot of agents in the world. They have to do everything indirectly. And that's like the complete opposite of Shank. Uh, Shank, you, you kind of mash buttons and walk forward and stuff happens and it's awesome, uh, which is a different experience. Uh, Ninja is more pinky, but uh, but yeah, I think that uh, even talking back to when we were talking about horror games, I think a lot of the reason that Resident Evil 4 doesn't really work as horror so much is because they have a gun. And, and you're quite capable of shooting zombies in the head. It's way scarier in amnesia um, when you can't even look at the, the monsters. You have to run away. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, go <laughs> Just ahead. Just throw that in. <laughs> no, that's, that's perfectly fine. I, I love being able to hear what indie developers have to say because it's not a line of bullshit. And that's like a big part of the reason why 
I quit covering AAA games and I've gone to strictly indies because every time that you hear from a AAA developer, it's bullshit on top of a little bit more bullshit (laughs) being sprinkled in. And with indie developers, I'm figuring out they're not going to find a way to sit there and lie to you and basically give you the old fuck off. They're giving you a reason that they make the game. They're giving you a reason that you need to love the game. And it's not even a necessity to love it. I'm sure that you guys didn't go into Don't Starve being like, you need to love this. I I think that you guys went into it being like, let's give these people a world that they can explore. And if they want, they can fall in love with it. And I'm already finding myself falling in love with Don't Starve. And that game is not something that I would normally fall in love with, but graphically it's beautiful. I don't find myself connecting with the character, which that's fine. It seems like the characters are there to serve a purpose. It's really the world. That's what matters behind it. And as I said earlier, you guys just, you nailed it. So before we go, I just once again, really want to say thank you because you've really created something amazing and something that while you compared it a little bit to Minecraft and everything is a completely different experience from Minecraft that I actually enjoy hopping into the world of don't starve. Cool. Thank you very much. (laughs) That does it for our interview with Mr. Kevin Forbes of clay entertainment. I once again, want to thank you for stopping by. And also I want to thank you Trevor for coming into this with me.